After a brief hiatus from the podcast, it is my pleasure to welcome back my colleague Ed for today's podcast. And I think this might be the most action-packed podcast we've ever recorded, certainly the most amount of information we've attempted to convey in one episode, and is almost certainly the most amount of links I've ever put in some show notes, and you can find those below or in the podcast section of our blog. We're calling the episode 10 Top Financial Tips for Consultants, but really most of this episode applies to everyone. So we talk about the marginal rate of tax, what it is, why you need to know about it, and why it especially matters for those of you earning between 100000 and 125000 per year. We talk about three super simple checks that you can make yourself on your NHS pensions health. We talk about good debt versus bad debt, why spending less than you earn is the key to your financial future, how to protect yourself against disaster. We also delve into inheritance tax and so much more. I apologize if it's just too frantic and too much in one go, but we've been away for a month or so and we wanted to come back with a bang. Uh, Take your time and hopefully the pace is okay. So probably not one to listen to before you go to bed to uh, settle down your mind. But uh, if you're in the gym or out for a run, uh, it will definitely get you going. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome to the Medics Money Podcast. My name is Dr. Tommy Perkins and I'm a GP. And my name is Dr. Ed Cantelo, a GP, but also a chartered accountant and a chartered tax advisor. And yes, you did hear that right. Not only is Ed a doctor, he's also a chartered accountant and a tax advisor. Medics Money empowers doctors and other professionals like you to make better financial decisions. So on today's podcast, it is my absolute pleasure to reintroduce my Medics Money co-founder, Ed, back to the podcast. Hi, mate. Hi, guys. Good to be back. Mate, it is so good to be back on the podcast with you. Um, we've been away a little bit. Uh, like you guys, we've been super busy working in the NHS. Um, and I don't need to tell the listeners of this podcast how busy that's been. Um, unfortunately, one of our colleagues passed away from COVID as well. Um, and our condolences to their family. I think, really, for me, that just reminded us um of the risks that anyone working on the front line is facing um so that was yeah difficult but better news um as you know me and ed are gps and part of the reason why we haven't been is because we've been working flat out uh, as gps uh doing a vaccination program and it is going really really well uh so locally we vaccinated 20 percent of our total cohort uh, so we've got about 100,000 people in our PCN and we've done 20% of them. So that has been really rewarding. And hopefully there's been uh, there's going to be some light at the end of that tunnel. Yeah, uh, uh, also, I, I should let you know, mate, that, you know, um, while you've been away off the podcast, I did manage to kind of fill the void uh, that you left. Not completely fill it, but partly um, with some of the best specialist medical accountants and independent financial advisors in the business uh, from the Medics Money Network. Uh, and we also had Sir Steve Webb on, former pensions minister yeah. as well. So I don't think they Fantastic. could ever truly fill the void left by your absence. But uh... no, no, of course not. Of course not. But yeah, a good job done anyway. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, uh, hopefully you found those episodes uh, useful and it just shows the amazing you know network of talent that we've put together on medics money all just helping uh, helping us out which is amazing right let's just get into today's podcast because we are talking today about 10 financial tips for consultants and um, we did uh, 10 financial tips for junior doctors uh, so this is for consultants and i guess one thing that 
I wanted to say, just to set the scene a bit, is that, you know, consultants have, or some consultants have had a 30% real terms pay cut over the last 10 years, according to the BMA. And I think we all know that work is definitely harder than it was um, and resources are more stretched than they were. So we thought we would do 10 financial tips, high impact tips to try to help mitigate some of that. Uh, so, uh, Ed, you are going first with tap tip one, which is about tax. Yeah, absolutely, Tommy. So a lot of people uh, wonder why we why we start with tax. Um, I mean, it's one of the biggest expenses that an individual incurs over their lifetime, especially when you factor in national insurance contributions as well. Um, uh, and it's really important to make sure that the right amount of tax is being paid. It's very easy to overpay tax, uh, and it's important to try and keep an eye on things to prevent that. Now, two of the um, simplest things that any doctor can do is to make sure that their tax code is correct and also claim any allowable professional expenses against their employment income. Um, we've gone through these many times before, so I'm not going to go into huge amounts of detail here, but we are, we are getting emails from consultants with uh, zero T tax codes uh, who are significantly overpaying tax. Um, we've had emails from consultants who have you know, said that they've never made a claim ever um, to get any sort of tax rebate. So it's clear that not everyone's doing this. Um, and if you are in that category, uh, it's well, well, well worth uh, claiming for those expenses, checking your tax code. As I say, loads of resources about this on our website. Um, and if you are in that category of not having never claimed any expenses at all, uh, you can still, at the time of recording this podcast, um, claim for any allowable expenses incurred since the 6th of April 2016. Uh, bear in mind that will change when the tax year ends on the 5th of April 2021. So if you do want to claim for expenses incurred between the 6th of April 2016 to the 5th of April 2017, uh, you need to do so before the 5th of April 2021. Okay, so really important to, to, to do that if you haven't already. And of course, uh, you know, we talked about what sort of expenses are, are allowable. So you, your GMC fee, your Royal College fees, etc. But uh, for you consultants, don't forget that any um, CCT fees that you paid uh, can be deducted against your employment incomes. Assuming, of course, you paid that fee, um, you know, within that sort of time limit. So from the 6th of April 2016. Um, there are also a few other things now to mention for consultants and anyone earning over £100,000 in income. Um, we haven't really kind of mentioned this too much in previous podcasts, um, but for, for consultants, it's very likely you're getting to that sort of £100,000 threshold or you're over it. Um, and once you get over this threshold, uh, your marginal tax rate may be higher than you expect. So what do I mean by that? Well, most of us know that the tax rates in the UK are 20%, 40%, and 45%, depending on your income, with the rates being slightly different in, in Scotland, of course. Um, but these are not necessarily your marginal tax rate. So the marginal tax rate is the percentage of tax paid on earnings for the next pound earned, okay? So if your salary was say uh, 70,000 pounds and you earn an extra pound, you will pay 40% tax on that or 40 pence of this extra pound in tax. So that's pretty easy, okay? But over 100,000 pounds of adjusted net income, and I'll explain what that means in a second, uh, the government begin to claw back your tax-free personal allowance. Um, this is part of the, the measures introduced by the, the Labour government to help uh, tackle the, the huge government debts incurred during the, the 2008 financial crisis. 
So as part of that, they thought that um, for people over £100,000, uh, they would try and take away your, your personal tax allowance to try and save them some money. How that works is that for every uh, £2 that you go over £100,000, you lose £1 of your personal allowance. Okay, so for every £2 over £100,000, you lose £1 of that personal allowance, which I'm sure you'll all know at the time of recording this podcast is £12,500. Okay, so by the time an individual has an adjusted net income of £125,000 or more in this current tax year, 2021 to 20, sorry, 2020 to 21, uh, they lose the benefit of that personal allowance entirely. Okay, so if you think about it, not only when, if you gain an extra pound in that sort of threshold, not only are you um, paying that 40% tax, but you also um, put in your personal allowance uh, risk, uh, which means that your marginal tax rate is not 40%, uh, but 60% between that, um, that range of 100,000 and 125,000 pounds. Okay. Hopefully that, that makes sense. Essentially over hundred thousand pounds of uh, what we call net adjusted income, uh, which I'll explain in a second, uh, you begin to lose that 12,500 personal allowance that you've been, uh, that, that, you, that every individual should be getting. Um, and there's another sting as well, when you reach hundred thousand um, pounds, if you have children, so it's not really a, a tax point per se, but uh, also another thing to, to mention, um, over the 100,000 pound threshold, you lose, any entitlement to what's called the, the tax-free childcare scheme. Um, this is a, a government scheme where you get up to 500 pounds every three months, up to 2,000 pounds a year for each of your children to help with the costs of childcare. Uh, and if you or your partner earn more than 100,000 pounds of net adjusted income, you also lose your entitlement to this scheme. So in terms of losing your personal allowance, or the benefits of that, this tax-free childcare scheme, uh, you, you'll note that I've mentioned um, adjusted net income, uh, not earnings, okay? Uh, your net income includes your employment earnings, um, which of course can be reduced uh, by claiming your employment expenses. So that's another re important reason to, to make sure you claim them and maximize your claim. Um, but you also then, make further adjustments to your earnings to get to this net income. Um, there aren't too many things you have to do to get from that difference of earnings, taxable earnings to uh, net adjusted income. The main ones are that you can deduct any donations to charities, which you claim gift aid, uh, and any private pension contributions you make, um, not your NHS pension, because that's already taken into account in reducing your taxable earnings. Um, the point is, and hopefully you guys guys are following that, um, but the point is that if your income hovers around the kind of £100,000 mark, uh, you really, really want to make sure that you're claiming all your allowable professional expenses. Um, you may also want to consider, you know, obviously entirely an individual choice here, but, uh, you know, making charitable donations under the gift aid scheme or, or further pension contributions, uh, which of course may bring other problems, but further pension contributions to bring your net income uh, below £100,000 so you don't lose uh, that personal allowance and that um, tax-free childcare um, that you get. So, you know, just a bit of, bit of food for thought, you know, don't, don't expect your marginal tax rate, uh, the rate at which you pay tax on an extra pound, don't expect that to actually be, say, 40%. Um, some strange things happen, particularly when you get above 100,000 pounds. 
So yeah. hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I think if you're earning around that kind of amount, um, you talked a bit about in basic terms what you could do. There's quite a lot of other things you could do as well to reduce that. You could think about using a limited company for certain parts of your income and stuff, but that is definitely well within the realms of what an accountant would do for you. But uh, I think it's great to flag that issue up that you know between 100 and 125,000 pounds, your marginal tax rate is 60%. Uh, so that's a bit of a stinger um, and something to bear in mind. Okay. Um, and number tip number two uh, is you again, mate. Go for it. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the next tip is a, is a fairly simple one. Um, you know, any of you guys who've listened to the podcast that I've been on before, you know that I mentioned this quite a lot. Um, but just, um, you know, I implore you all, you know, please, please just definitely keep any paperwork you receive regarding uh, tax and your finances. Um, I'm sure a lot of you do this already, uh, but it's really important to keep your pay slips, your P60s, your P45s, any pension documents that you receive, just keep them somewhere safe. Okay. Um, it's especially easy now with uh, the sort of the ESR system um, in hospitals, which means you can just download PDFs of your documents onto your laptop or computer uh, and then keep them safe for uh, whenever they're required. Uh, you may also want to, as soon as you get any sort of receipts from the GMC or your Royal College or the BMA or whoever, uh, also save those as well. So you don't have to go hunting for them if you have to do a tax return. Um, and I should probably also add, actually, because, um, um, you know, if any of you guys who are earning over £100,000, um, the revenue will almost certainly want you to actually do a, a self-assessment tax return. Uh, it, this is one of those situations whereby normally the uh, revenue have to, have to ask you to do one before you, you do it. You don't have to just say, hang on a minute, I earn over £100,000, please can I do a tax return? Um, but um, just to say, you, you know, you, over £100,000, normally they will realise that, make you do a tax return. Um, so that's another thing to, to think about um, for you consultants out there. Yeah. And, you know, if it seems like we're starting really simple here, don't worry, we're going to ramp it up later. But doing the basics well is so important. And this paperwork issue, uh, keeping your pay slips, P60, P45, and at a very minimum, keep your total award statement, which we're going to talk about in a minute. Um, it seems trivial, but the problem is... The system is getting so complicated now, especially with regards to pension. And every time we speak to the pensions uh, experts on Medics Money, their number one tip is keep all pensions paperwork because the records that NHS pensions hold are not necessarily accurate. And if those records are inaccurate, the onus is back on you to prove that they're inaccurate. And I, I've experienced this several times in my career um, where keeping pay slips um, is important. And I was uh, getting ready to meet my financial advisor a couple of weeks ago, and I still have uh, my F1, F2 pay slips, um, and they are still <laughs> unbelievably uh, relevant. So it seems like a triviality, but just think about it in those terms. Pay slips, P60, P45, total award statement, and any other pension documents. And that you need to do that. And you need to keep them safe, either doing it electronically, like Ed suggested. Uh, unfortunately, mine are all mostly paper because I'm old and they're in a nice little ring binder. But they are in uh, chronological order, which will keep somebody like you happy, hopefully, Ed. Um, that's, very, that's very pleasing to me. Very good. Yeah. Uh, and they're on a spreadsheet as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so just keep the paperwork. Um, and when I was uh, a junior doctor, like, I'd go in the mess all the time. Uh, actually, I very rarely went in the mess. I was so hardworking. And 
there was everyone's payslips just in a massive pile unopened there. And I just thought, oh my goodness, all those people are going to really regret that uh, because that is probably the only hard proof you're going to have of how much pension contributions you paid. So key to paperwork seems trivial, but I think it's right up there with one of the most high impact things you can do. Um, all right, next one is me. Um, and we are talking about pensions. So this podcast is being dominated by pensions at the moment because there's so much going on and I'm not going to refer back to that. I'm just going to keep it really, really simple because loads of people email me saying, where do I start? What's what, just let, give me the basics of what I need to do. Okay. So the pension is still a great deal for the vast majority of us. It's an index linked guaranteed income for life. And you know, we're not giving financial advice here, but if you are thinking about opting out, please take advice uh, because, you know, um, rarely is opting out completely the right option. Um, but I think the days of collecting a final salary pension at the end, uh, having had done no maintenance on it whatsoever and not having to worry about any kind of tax problems or anything, uh, if they ever existed, are definitely over right now. Uh, you know, your pension needs annual maintenance. And the vast majority of that maintenance you can do yourself. Um, you know, no uh, advisors needed. So three things that I would do um, if I was a consultant right now uh, would be to one, we've already mentioned it, request your total award statement. Okay, so it's available um, online. It's totally free. Um, and as Ed said, you can also get it on your ESR as well. Um, and what you need to do is get that and compare what your, TR, your TRS says to your March payslip, okay? Because you've got your March payslip because Ed's told you to keep every single one of them. Um, and the TRS is released every year. So you need to do that every single year. So that's the basics. And have a look at, make sure that the numbers broadly line up and have a look at the TRS just to get familiar with it. The second thing which might be useful is something called a membership statement request. And this mainly applies to those in 95 and 2008 scheme. And again, not getting into those details today, that is covered elsewhere on the podcast or the blog. But the membership statement provides a list of what NHS pension thinks are all your pensionable employments that you hold uh, as notified by your employers. And a lot of times this is incorrect. So it's just a list of jobs that you had, uh, how many days you worked there, um, and things like that. So get that. You request that from NHS Pensions. Please don't email me asking how to do that. Google is your friend there. The NHS Pensions website is actually really nice. Um, get the membership statement request. Have a look at it. And make sure that you can check that there's no big gaps in employment, okay? Because if there are gaps, you need to resolve them. And that's where having your payslips comes in because you go to your employer and you say, here's my payslip showing my pension contributions and you have not notified NHS pensions. Can you please do it? Because if that is incorrect, you are missing out on potentially a lot of money. Uh, and then the third thing that I think you could do, and this is probably more for the higher earners, but even so, is a pension saving statement, sometimes referred to as the dreaded brown envelope. So this is a document that the NHS pensions are legally obliged to send out if your growth in your pension exceeds £40,000 in any year. So that's your growth, not your contributions member. And there is a really important difference there. But, you know, if you haven't got an envelope, that definitely does not mean that you're safe because they don't know if you're tapered, if your allowance is tapered. Um, and there's a whole load of other reasons why you might not get an envelope. So my key point here is no envelope does not mean no problem. Okay. So I think if you're a higher earner, it's probably worth requesting a pension saving statement. And again, just making sure that it is correct. Um, because 
no envelope does not mean no problem. And we've got a webinar on our YouTube, which goes into this in a lot of detail. Uh, so check out our YouTube for more details on that. Final thing, which I think is quite useful, is HMRC have quite a nice annual allowance calculator. So once you've got all your pension numbers, which you have from the information that I've just listed above, you can tap that into your annual allowance calculator and it will give you a, a guide as to whether you're getting close to the threshold or, or not. So that's just four really basic things that anyone can do. You can do it yourself. You don't need an advisor to do that. Although if you do do it, your advisor will be super happy because it will save them a lot of legwork. So total award statement, membership statement request, um, just to check that your service history is okay. If you're a higher earner, pension savings statement, think about the HMRC annual allowance calculator. Um, and we've got so much more information about everywhere on Medics Money podcast, uh, on our uh, YouTube and on our blog. So have a look around there. Uh, other favorite resources of mine are the NHS Pensions website. It's really good. And there is this guide to the 95, 2008 and the 2015 section on the NHS Pensions website. It's about 33 pages, but uh, if you're geeky, you might enjoy reading it like me. Um, cool. Uh, where are we? Accountant is keeping count. Tip four. Is that right, mate? Yep. Absolutely. Tip four. That's the one. That's why we need an accountant in the house at all times because I always lose count because I get a bit it, huh? excitable about certain topics. Um, tip four. This one's going to sting a bit for some of you, I think, because my tip four is spend less than you earn. Okay. And you're thinking, oh, that just sounds so simple and boring. Okay. But actually, if somebody was forced me to say one tip that could help doctors or other higher earners, it would be spend less than you earn. Uh, and the reason for that is it's so easy to spend more than you earn. And if you spend more than you earn, you're going to get in debt, okay? And if you're on a high income, you really ought not to be in debt. You need to be spending less than you earn, saving the difference, and investing that for the future uh, or using it for other things, okay? And let me just give you one example, which is in our free ebook, um, which is totally free to download, of Sophie, who is a cardiology registrar who contacted us. She was doing a PhD, right? So she was super busy. So she realized that she was spending £200 a month in the hospital canteen, which is say like six to eight pounds a day, roughly. Okay. So she was shocked and she reduced that spend by £166 a month. Okay. So she didn't cut it out. She's not, you know, eating beans and drinking instant coffee uh, every single day. Uh, she's still spending £34 a month uh, in the hospital canteen. Uh, over a 30 year career, that saving uh, of £166 a month adds up to £59,760 which is a great amount. Okay. Um, but if you were to invest that amount uh, in and historically uh, a, a very conservative return, historically invested <clears throat> in a well diversified portfolio, um, then at 5% growth, that would be £139 and £680. Okay. So I'm not sure about you, mate, but I haven't had a hospital uh, meal that was worth £139,680. Have you? Nope. Nowhere close. Sometimes after nights, um, uh, like really greasy bacon sandwich and a coffee, it's disproportionately good. But that's very true. Yeah, off the night shifts. Yeah, definitely a nice treat to have. But not one hundred thirty-nine thousand pounds worth. Okay, so my point there is that small bits of spending add up over time. Okay, um, and sometimes um, people write to us and say, you know, I'm a wealthy doctor. Why are you telling me to rein in my spending? Well, one, because you've just seen how that can add up. But two, in my experience, if you're not in control of your finances and spending less than you earn, you might be wasting money elsewhere. So you probably don't have a monthly budget, and you you might not even know how much you spend on 
the basics of life. How much is your energy bill each month? How much do you spend on subscriptions that you're not using? If you go to Starbucks and to get, you know, a flat white or whatever, and they offer you extra sprinkles and then a cake because it's on special offer, you probably go for that, okay? Because you're getting upsold and you're just spending extra money that you do not need to spend. So it's a bit brutal, but I think a lot of us could do with spending less than we earn. And hopefully that's useful. What are your thoughts on spending less than you earn, mate? I think it's uh, very, very, very important to, uh, to do that. And uh, yeah, it's very easy to uh, spend extra on these little bits uh, in, in the hospital in particular. I, I'd say I'm a bit of a sucker for, uh, for going to the, the coffee shops in St. Richard's, uh, but uh, you know, it really does add up. Yeah. And I'm not saying like you can't spend anything. I'm just saying be aware of what you're spending. Uh, you know, trim it down a bit and that can make massive gains over your career. And hospital food is not worth £139,000 in my experience, not even the amazing St. Richard's uh, Chichester Cafe, which is pretty decent. Um, okay. Oh my goodness. Is it me again? I think so. I think you're doing quite quite a few. I don't think I feature again to uh, tip eight. So uh, make no, you, you, you've point. done the heavy lifting. I'm just doing the more sort of easy stuff. Um, tip five for me is protection. Okay. So I don't insure anything that I can afford to replace. Okay. I don't insure my phone. I don't insure my washing machine. I do not even insure my beloved bikes or even my surfboards, which Ed see my surfboard collection up close, actually. Um, yeah. Well, got a few. We used to be our table at one point when we were allowed to meet up and record these in person. We used to use that as our table. <laughs> True story. True story. Um, so I don't insure any of that. Okay. But I do insure mine and my family's future. And Unless you can afford to continue your current lifestyle, if you got ill um, and couldn't work, uh, then you also need to think about insurance. And sometimes people say to me, ah, but the NHS uh, pension provides generous ill health, retirement, death in service benefits, survivor pensions, and even children's pensions in some situations. And that is very, very true. It does uh, have those benefits, and it's one of the extra benefits of the NHS pension, which can be invaluable. But you need to know how much you're going to get. So it's really complicated, to be honest. But in general terms, if you die death in service, you will get two times your pensionable pay or reckonable pay. We'll talk about that. Um, so let's give an example. You're a consultant, and you're earning £110,000 of pensionable pay. You die, then your lump sum death benefit will be £220,000. So is that enough for your family to continue their current lifestyle? And if it's not, you need to think about getting some extra. And it's definitely not enough for me. And so I have extra protection. Um, obviously, that's a slight oversimplification because there's also survivor benefits and children's pensions. Um, but, you know, I'd be very surprised if that adds up to enough to continue your current lifestyle. So you're going to need to think about getting some extra protection. And if you are going to buy protection, you are going to have to navigate a myriad of poorly trained salespeople basically who are masquerading as advisors who are going to try and sell you a product and our frustration with this process the status quo that exists and our personal experiences of dealing with these poorly trained salespeople is a massive part of why we set up medics money so at medics money you probably know we only use independent financial advisors so that is a massive topic to understand. Independent means that those advisors can select you a policy from anywhere on the market so you will get the best policy for you. 
The other type of advisor is a restricted advisor. And paradoxically, some of the biggest advisors uh, that are targeting doctors are restricted advisors. And a restricted advisor will only offer you a limited range of policies. So the first thing on Medics Money is all of our advisors are independent. And that is why, because we want you guys to get the very best deal from the whole of the market. The second thing to say is, all of the advisors on Medics Money are specialists in doctors. And there's many, many, many reasons for that. If you've listened to our pensions episodes, you'll understand the complexities there. But with regards to protection, it's really, really important that the advisor understands your career structure and the benefits that I briefly brushed over that the NHS pension gives you. Because some of those benefits that the NHS pension gives you can mean that you may not need as much uh, cover so it can make getting the cover easier and cheaper and that's something that non-specialist advisors or poorly trained salespeople do not appreciate so there are loads of amazing advisors out there and most of them now it seems are on medics money which is great uh, but you need to be aware that there are poorly trained salespeople who are not uh, got your best interests at heart do not understand the complexities of working with doctors and you need to try to spot them and stay away from them and the easiest way to stay away from them is of course to use medics money so sales pitch over um, but in all seriousness it's not a sales pitch it's why we started medics money and we want to give you guys all the information that you need to make the right decisions so i want you to understand why the advisors on medics money are the best and why we only went with independent advisors we could have got loads of restricted advisors on medics money but we chose not to so there's loads of information in the links here in the show notes have a good read of it and have a good think about it and on one of those links, it details my own personal, what I consider to be my biggest financial mistake, which was buying protection far too late. And uh, I outline the reasons why I do that. And it's probably the same reasons that you don't have it right now as well. So have a good look at those links. Have a think about it as well. And the other thing to say is that if you have opted out of the pension scheme for any reason, then the benefits that you get in terms of death and service and ill health are vastly reduced. And again, on our blog, we have an article that details this. So definitely have a look at that because if you've opted out of the pension, uh, you will not be entitled to the full range of benefits uh, that is if, if you were in the pension. What are your thoughts, Ed, on protection? Uh, yeah, totally. It's really, really important. I I, mean, I don't have any any children, but I've definitely got extra extra protection. Uh, for this i think it's really really important so uh yeah i definitely definitely were the top tip there um tip six investing uh this could be my second favorite tip after keep your paperwork and get protection so third favorite tip um do you want to earn every penny of your wealth at the nhs coalface until you retire at a date decreed by the government if you don't and i don't then you're going to need a backup plan and that backup plan might be investing. So we have got so much information about this on our website because the hardest thing about investing is knowing where to start, how to do it, what's good and what's not. And I think recently we've seen in the headlines some sh shocking examples of investing. Um, GameStop thing, that was just insane. Okay, if you think GameStop is good investing, you're wrong. Uh, if you think buying Tesla shares, uh, Tesla shares are on an absolute rally, uh, that is also wrong. Um, Bitcoin, don't even want to go there. Um, but we've got loads of information about this on our blog. We've got a specific webinar about investing on our YouTube. 
And good investing is boring investing, low cost investing, not going for any fancy stuff, just well diversified portfolio that's going to grow over many years and give you a really nice backup plan should you need it in the future. And if you're wondering where you're going to get the money to invest, well, you're spending less than you earn by not wasting money at hospital food. Smash that all into an investment portfolio. Job done. Don't get distracted by get rich, skip, get rich quick schemes. And uh, if you listen to my really short um, book review episode where we were in full crisis mode and uh, had to take some time out from the podcast, I recommended Smarter Investing by Tim Hale. Just give it a read. Um, definitely recommend that one. Um, oh my goodness, it's me again. Uh, tip seven. Yep. <laughs> tip seven is kind of related to spend less than you earn. You know, when you become a consultant, you might think you've, you've hit the big time, you know, time to buy a Porsche and a mansion in Chelsea. Uh, as I said at the start, we consultants have had a, or some have had a 30% real terms pay cut. And if you're wondering, ah, oh, but the government said we got a 1% pay rise last year to 1.5%, you know, year before. Uh, yeah, in real terms. So if inflation is 2% and you get a 1% pay rise, that is otherwise known as a pay cut in real terms. So they've been pretty clever by giving us sub-inflationary pay rises. And at the end of that, 10 years later, we're 30% down. So you're not going to have hit the big time. And you might think, you know, that you're going to be spending like that, but you're not. Um, so just have a look at your spending and get your bank statement. Have a look at it in the same way that you analyze your patient's test results, okay, i.e. very carefully. Just have a look. Am I wasting money on subscriptions I don't need? Uh, how much am I spending on my energy bills? Have I got a new quote for that recently? Uh, and also just have a look at things that you're spending that's discretionary. How much do you spend on takeaways per month? Uh, you know, Do you really need to do that? Or could you cook some healthy food at home? Something like that. So Try to avoid what's called lifestyle creep, which is even though you're earning more and more money, somehow you've got less free cash flow than when you were a junior doctor. And that really long monologue, it, after that, it gives me great pleasure to reintroduce Dr. Ev Cantello for tip eight. Yeah, absolutely. I get, I get another turn now. And um, you've done lots of talking, Tommy, so it's my turn to take over and talk about a little bit about um, about wills and uh, retirement planning and uh, inheritance tax, something we haven't really kind of covered too much on, on medics money so far in the podcasts. And if you, the first thing to say basically is if you don't already have a will, uh, you may want to consider writing one uh, as soon as possible. Uh, it's especially important if you have children or other family who depend on you financially, or if you want to leave something to people outside of your immediate family. If you die without a will, then the rules of uh, intestacy apply, which are the rules which set out how your assets are split out on death uh, when there is no will. Um, and these rules may not be the ones that you'd want to dictate what happens to your estate. Um, you know, here's a, a morbid example. For example, uh, if, if I pass away, um, you know, the rules state, because you know, if I didn't have a will, the rules would state that all of my assets would go straight to my parents. Um, uh, and that may or may not be where I, I want them to go. I may want them to go to my nieces and nephews instead, etc. So, <clears throat> um, also, were, anyone else that you yeah. might want something to go to? You know, maybe a good friend, uh, colleague, business well, partner. You know, uh, well, you know, Tommy, maybe maybe I'll, I'll put something in there for you as well. Maybe I'm in ditch. Yeah, you can you can have my cats. Cheers, buddy. Thanks. I'm happy with that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's good. Um, but yeah, so it's really important to say if you don't want to fall into those uh, those rules that um, have been dictated by the uh, by common law, 
you know, you want to get a will sorted out as soon as you can, okay? Um, you may also be getting to that point where you want to start considering inheritance tax uh, and utilizing any exemptions that you're entitled to and planning your estate to try and minimize any inheritance tax charges. Um, inheritance tax is a, a huge, huge topic worthy of a, a podcast or a whole book in its own right. Uh, and it's also very important to give our usual caveat that every individual really needs to consider their own circumstances. Uh, give, you know, again, we're not, we're not here to give you advice. We're just here to give you, you know, impart, impart knowledge. Um, inheritance tax applies for the, the main part when, uh, when you die, when an individual dies, uh, and is charged on the value of their estate on their death. Um, as, but as well as that, uh, on any chargeable transfers that were made to other people in the previous seven years before death, okay? So when you, if you were to pass away, inheritance tax may be chargeable in all your assets at, that you own at the time of death, um, but they also go back seven years uh, and look at any, any value that was transferred to other people to see if that's also chargeable to inheritance tax. And there are two primary rates of inheritance tax, uh, 0% and 40%. Uh, the, the 0% or, or nil rate basically applies to uh, cumulative transfers below the inheritance tax threshold, which is currently uh, £325,000. Okay, so consequently, uh, an individual's chargeable transfers in the seven years before death will not be chargeable until um, they exceed that threshold and any uh, remaining nil rate is then applied against the individual's estate. Then over that rate, the 40% applies, okay? So, so when you die, everyone's entitled to £325,000 uh, inheritance tax-free, let's put it that way. Uh, and they start seven years ago, work through all of your chargeable transfers, and they begin to use up that £325,000 until you get to the, the date of death and you value the assets at that point, and any remainder remaining part of that nil rate threshold or for instance £5,000 is applied against the estate, the excess is taxed at 40%, which is quite a, quite a, a high percentage. Um, so there are some exemptions that apply during an individual's life that avoid inheritance tax charges, uh, which just might be useful to know. So uh, again, as part of our, our, you know, our goal to impart knowledge um, to help make financial decisions, uh, here are five common exemptions for inheritance tax. Okay, I apologize if this is getting a bit too technical, but hopefully it's, uh, it's useful to you guys. Um, so the first one is that every individual who makes a chargeable transfer for inheritance tax purposes has an annual exemption of 3,000 pounds every tax year, okay? If you do not use your annual exemption from the previous tax year, you can also carry that forward. So suppose I, you know, rather than giving you my cats, Tommy, I, I just right now I'll give you 4,500 pounds, um, and I haven't made any other chargeable transfers this tax year, and, and let's say I haven't made any the year before either, um, I'd be entitled to an annual exemption in that case of £6,000. So £3,000 for this tax year, £3,000 for the last year carry forward. So the whole of that um, £4,500 that I transferred to you, Tommy, would be exempt from inheritance tax. Um, and just to point out, so that may be obvious, if um, that £4,500 was chargeable to inheritance tax when I died, uh, then you, Tommy, would have to stump up 40% on that £4,500. What about, what about, okay. do I have to pay tax on the cats or are they tax free? That's too complicated, eh? 
Yeah, well, they're very, very valuable. Some would say they're priceless. So, uh, you know, it could be quite a whopping tax bill for that one. <laughs> Let's hope um, HMRC but, doesn't uh, view them as priceless. Otherwise, you, I'm going to have a horrendous tax bill. Um, <laughs> you want to get you want to get some uh, cat advice on that one. <laughs> um, so, um, all right, guys. So, uh, yes, yeah, secondly, I'm using my train of thought but so, yeah, secondly, um, most gifts um, to spouses or civil partners, uh, they're exempt from inheritance tax. Um the reason why I say most gifts is because it basically assumes that the individuals are domiciled in the UK. Um, I don't really don't want to get into this huge minefield. Domicile basically means where you consider your permanent home to be. Okay, so if you consider your permanent home to be in the UK, both both you and your spouse or civil partner, uh, then the transfer should be exempt. Um, you can also make gifts to charities; they, they won't be taxed. Uh, won't be taxed in terms of inheritance tax. Um, and also political parties are exempt. So if you make a donation to a political party and then you, then you pass away, that political party will not have to uh, pay any tax on your gift. Uh, I wonder why they brought in that exemption. Um, yeah. Now, uh, thirdly... Who yeah, voted for that? that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the, uh, yeah, it suits all the political parties. I think they're quite happy for that one to be, to be passed. Um, and then thirdly, and this may be more interesting to you guys, that, you know, there are some exemptions for, uh, for wedding and civil partnership ceremony gifts as well. So, for example, uh, a parent can give up to £5,000 to a child and up to £2,500 to a grandchild, uh, and these gifts will be exempt from inheritance tax. So... If you give five thousand pounds to your your son or daughter just because you know that may be chargeable to inheritance tax, but if you give five thousand pounds to your son or daughter on that because of their wedding, that would be exempt from inheritance tax, uh, and that exemption applies per ceremony. Okay, not per person getting married, but per ceremony. Okay, fourth, uh, any small gifts of up to two hundred and fifty pounds to any one donee. In any tax year, they're exempt. So if you're, you know, putting money in birthday cards to your nieces, nephews, grandkids, etc., um, then that they're exempt from inheritance tax up to that £250 threshold. And finally, another one that might be quite useful for, for you guys is that there is an exemption for basically small regular gifts out of income that don't affect your the donor's usual standard of living. So you know, for example, okay, maybe small fry, but you know, imagine you um you gave every month um fifty pounds to your your daughter, um you know it's unlikely to reduce your uh, usual standard of living, uh, and as long as it's regular, then those amounts will not be chargeable to inheritance tax. So, another thing to think about, you know, could you make sort of those these small gifts regularly to to your your loved ones? Um, if you do, that's very efficient for inheritance tax. Okay, and then finally, kind of. Uh, any transfers outside to, outside of those exemptions uh, are often classified as what we call potentially exempt transfers, which means that inheritance tax may be charged on the gift when the, the donor dies, uh, but the transfer may be exempt. And you note that I said that um, they go back seven years. Well, if you made a gift more than seven years ago um, and you then die, then that will not be chargeable to inheritance tax, okay? If you die within three years of giving a gift, that will be chargeable to inheritance tax. Um, subject to that meal rate of £325,000 that I mentioned. Uh, and in between, they basically taper the rate. So, you know, if you die between three years and seven years of giving a gift to someone, um, then they will taper the tax rate if a tax rate does apply. So um, inheritance tax, very um, complicated uh, topic. Maybe that's a little bit technical, a bit dry, but worth, definitely worth thinking about that as, as you approach retirement. Um, there is another thing that a lot of people like to do, which is to set up trusts. Um, that um, is becoming sort of less 
useful from a from a tax uh, planning perspective, but you know they are still used. Um, definitely worth uh, getting advice on that uh, if you wanted to do such a thing. Uh, and in fact, in general, getting some advice about inheritance tax planning for an accountant uh, is a very useful thing to do, if you're, especially if you're as you approach your retirement. Mate, I love how you know all this super in-depth stuff. Um, and if anyone's wondering how a doctor knows all this stuff, just remind us you're not only a doctor, mate. What else have you been up to? Uh, so nine years as a chartered accountant and a chartered tax advisor. So this is kind of my my, my bread and butter stuff, really. And uh, yeah, that's how I how I know all this and uh, keep it all up to date and, uh, and so on so I can impart it on these, these podcasts for you guys. I love it. I love it. Um, it's just, yeah, it's so complicated. But I think those those things that you pulled out are the key points there. It's really good. Um, right. T- tip nine is me. Um, I'm just keeping it simple, as you might have noticed. And I think it's a nice balance. Tip nine is to get a financial plan. Now, if you've never really known what a financial plan is, it's super simple, really. And it can be complicated. You know, if you've got inheritance tax issues, uh, that's definitely going to be in your financial plan. But I think if you're just looking to get started, the ebook, I'll drop the link. Uh, it's Medics Money ebook. Uh, I'll drop the link. It just shows you how to build a financial plan. And essentially, uh, it breaks it down into maximizing your income. And that doesn't mean working harder. Okay. It means utilizing the various tax allowances and reliefs, which we talk about all the time on Medics Money, to legally uh, reduce your tax bill. Okay. So you can earn, take home more without doing any more work. Always good. I don't think any doctor needs to work harder. None that I've met, certainly. Uh, definitely not me and Ed at the moment. Um, minimize unnecessary expenditure, spend less and you earn, you know, get protection that we talked about to protect you and your family in the event of illness or, you know, even worse, death. Repay your debt. Yeah, that's a big one. I've got a podcast lined up about this. Uh, I hate debt because I had loads of it when I left university and now I've got none. So I'm going to do a podcast, especially about debt, but repaying that debt and good debt is low interest rate debt like your mortgage. Okay. Um, Not necessarily a big rush to repay good debt, uh, but bad debt high interest rate credit cards, store cards that are used to buy things which generally depreciate in value, that is bad debt. You got to pay that down, you know, as a matter of urgency. And you're going to pay that down by spending less than you earn and putting the difference into paying down the debt. Uh, Grow your wealth. Investment is a big part of a financial plan. Uh, And the final part of any investment plan or financial plan is to get good advice. So the right advice for the right price. And that's a part of why we started Medics Money. Um, And that brings us to tip 10, um, which is something that we get asked a lot, really, which is, do I need an accountant or do I need a financial advisor? And I guess, really, what you got to ask yourself is, what benefits are they going to give you? Um, So some, let's break it down into accountants. Does a junior doctor need an accountant to claim a tax rebate or sort out their tax code or other such things? Definitely not. They just need to head to Medics Money and do it themselves. But at some point, I think most people listening to this podcast would benefit from advice. Um, And probably that's when you become a consultant. So I guess the big wins would be something that seems simple, completing your self-assessment. Easy to make errors there. And I know we've got a podcast planned on that, mate, haven't we? Because that's kind of your forte. Um, So that's that. Um, I think the pensions issue, if you've got a pensions issue, I think using an accountant would be very good. I think if you're earning around that £100,000 threshold that we talked about and you have private practice income or something, then you could look at a tax-efficient way of restructuring that remuneration. And again, we have 
some information about how to think about doing that, such as starting a limited company. Uh, any Anything else I've missed of how accountants can help doctors, mate? This is your forte, really. Um, so I just, just to reiterate what, what, you're, what you're saying there, they told me that, you know, not everything needs an advisor. So some things can be done yourself. And if you're one of those consultants who hasn't made any claims for any professional expenses for the past five years, you know, please, please do go to our, our website and uh, get our free step-by-step uh, -step guide about how to do that. Um, but as Tommy said, after a while, you know, you probably are going to need or need proper advice. Um, Self-assessment, for example, as Tommy said, is very easy to, um, to get wrong. And definitely when it comes to the, all the pension stuff, you know, that can very easily go wrong. So, um, you know, consider when when you need advice, be sensible. You know, you don't, don't always need advice, everything, especially junior doctors, but consultants, you probably get to that point where you probably do want to, uh, to get the specialists involved. Yeah, and I think something that I may have been guilty of in the past um, is, you know, lots of my friends pay £25 a week for a cleaner to clean their house. Uh, so that's 1300 quid a year. Um, they're happy to pay that, but they don't want to pay an accountant or financial advisor £1,000 a year to manage all their finances and make sure they're maximizing all the allowances and not getting stung by a pensions tax bill and got everything in order. Um, I don't have a cleaner, but I do have a financial advisor uh, and an accountant. Um, I know that you do have a financial advisor, Ed, and you're probably not going to be surprised to learn that Ed does not have an accountant, right? Uh, yeah, no, I don't, don't have an accountant, um, mainly because of my background, but also because actually, you know, I've only just qualified as a GP, so my, my affairs aren't particularly uh, complicated. Um, and I, I, by the way, just uh, for the, you know, to be complete, I don't have a cleaner either. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I would also just say that, yeah, obviously you do your own accounting stuff for obvious reasons. But, uh, you know, when we have things about running a lim the limited company, Medics Money, like uh, things with the company, uh, we do have an accountant and you do consult yeah, do. them because yeah. that is not your area of expertise. So, you know, you, you yeah, even even yeah. you consult accountants about accounting things, which you're not 100% au fait on, such as, um, you know, about uh, running Medics Money's uh, limited company accounts. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, I did I did my accountancy exams and I could do accounts, etc. But um, it's always good to have uh, someone checking over these things. And uh, and to say, there are some areas that, you know, I'm not an expert in, um, for, you know, VAT, for example, being a huge one. Um, so, yeah. We, we have an account of minutes money and uh, they're worth every penny. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right. That was awesome. It was so good to be back on the podcast with you, mate, after a little break. Yes. I look forward good to another episode really, really soon. Um, everyone who's listening, please stay, stay safe out there. And um, yeah. thank you so much for sharing this with your colleagues and telling everyone about it. Hopefully you're finding it useful. And we really look forward to catching up with you on the next episode. Yeah, thanks, guys. Take care.